In the vastness of stars, what do you see? Darkness. Good evening, Crypt Keepers, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 14 of Cryptique. I'm joined, as always, by my co-pilot on this journey through the cosmos and the only man I know with a pet demigorgon, Ryan. What's up? Dude? Tell us about your pet like demigorgon. <laughs> uh, it's like a cat who wants to come around on his own terms, he wants to, uh, you know, be petted. But only like four times or else to come at you <laughs> pretty typical <laughs> I, I wonder you know we talked about in our philia episodes about people that are attracted to monstrous beings and stuff i wonder if there's got to be some weirdo out there that's like Ooh, it just demi work me. Ooh, you're hot <laughs> yeah i yeah. people have interesting tastes been finding out more and more about that lately yes we have all right so tonight what are we going to talk about tonight we are talking about the montauk project and a little bit about how stranger things pulls a lot from the secret cia mind control experiment all right cool so most of you guys have probably heard of the montauk monster it's kind of a famous photo out there and Uh, It it was found on the beach, I guess, near this facility. And basically, it is a bizarre-looking kind of dogish creature. You've seen the the photo, right? You know what I'm talking about? I do, yeah. The one that washed up on the beach. Yeah. A lot of people say it's a raccoon. Uh, It seems pretty muscular to be a raccoon, but, you know, it also it's a weird looking thing but it doesn't really seem to have anything to do with what we're going to discuss but it's kind of a cool picture it's interesting just look up montauk monster and it looks skinned and you can Mm -hmm. see the skull and the skull looks strange you know we look at this and we don't see a raccoon or a dog but i don't know In, in my opinion that's probably what it is i don't think that it was the monster that we're going to talk about i think that that's just kind of a i don't know urban legend type photograph but it, it's it's neat to see anyway so yeah it's one of those things that you see on i've been seeing on reddit at least lately where they'll have like uh the skeleton mm-hmm. and then like what aliens would think it is or what people from the future who've never seen this animal would think it is and they take things like the orca mm-hmm. an orca skeleton looks pretty crazy mm-hmm. a rabbit skeleton looks pretty crazy mm-hmm. it's like you would never guess what they really looked like based on that yeah i mean just if you found one that was like partially decomposed like this thing that washed up so i agree with that i think it's you know just something that's difficult to identify because of the state it was in yeah and it was found at a place that has a history of paranormal or you know mind control whatever but it's an interesting picture to look up and it's it's definitely not something i'd want to find on a beach i'm swimming at but right all right so Inside the Montauk Project, the U.S. military's alleged mind control program, and this is from an article from allthatsinteresting.com written by Marco Margarita. Allegedly conducted on the east end of Long Island during the Cold War, Project Montauk was a secret military experiment to develop psychological warfare with abducted children. Now, if that doesn't scream critique, I don't know what does. The Montauk Project just might be the motherload of lesser-known conspiracy theories. 
Time travel, teleportation, and mind control are all integral to the story, while contact with aliens and the staging of Apollo moon landings add color to an already wild yarn. Even after all that, and the fact that it inspired the Netflix series Stranger Things, relatively few have even heard of the Montauk Project story. So, how is it that the Montauk Project, which purports that a shadowy element of the US military turned a pair of military installations on the far reaches of Long Island into a hub of illicit, chilling research into the paranormal, has gone overlooked? Perhaps it's because the story originated in sources that are dubious, even by conspiracy theory standards. Though even if the Montauk Project itself is fiction, which it surely is, right? The CIA's documented history of disturbing experiments like the ones supposedly carried out at Montauk means that this story will stay intriguing for the few who know it. And with the popularity of Stranger Things firmly established, perhaps the Montauk Project's time in the spotlight might finally be here. So, most of you have probably seen Stranger Things. Uh, some of you are probably really super into it. Like, it's your thing, which is cool, you know? Just like there's uh, Star Wars people and Star Trek yeah. people and all that. There's Stranger Things people. I don't know. I don't know how far they can, how much further they can go really with, you know, the kids are, you know, 18, 19 now, you know, they were 14 or 13 when it started and it was very nostalgic. And I think that the nostalgia is kind of what drew more people in than the actual storyline. Like it has like an ET feel to it where it's like kids riding their bikes around in the eighties and going to have fun and do kid things and dungeons and dragons and stuff like that mm -hmm. and then i i almost feel like the uh the storyline is is secondary but i'm sure there's a lot of people that would disagree with that and i do like stranger things i'm not a i don't know what what do they call stranger things addicts or fiends or you know they call star trek people trekkies right mm-hmm uh, maybe they're strangers. You're familiar with the stranger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Stranger Things fandom site says WTS, We the Strangers, which yeah. is not, that doesn't roll off the tongue. No. There's got to be something else. I'm looking on Reddit to see if, yeah, strangers. There are people saying just strangers, thingers, <laughs> thingies, upside downers, <laughs> all yeah, kinds that's of cool. stuff. I like upside downers. Yeah. So for those that don't know, the portal that they open up in the show takes you to a place they call the upside down, which is a kind of a weird, perverted version of reality. So Right. It's like bizarre world if you're into, you know, like Superman comics or whatever. For those that don't know, we'll just do a quick overview of Stranger Things. You want to tell us about that? Stranger Things is set in the fictional rural town of Hawkins, Indiana during the 1980s. The nearby Hawkins National Laboratory ostensibly performs scientific research for the United States Department of Energy, but secretly does experiments into the paranormal and supernatural, including those that involve human test subjects. Inadvertently, they have created a portal to an alternate dimension that we just mentioned, referred to as the Upside Down. The influence of the Upside Down starts to affect the unknowing residents of Hawkins in a calamitous way. The first season begins in November of 1983 when Will Byers is abducted by a creature from the Upside Down. His mother, Joyce, and the town's police chief, Jim Hopper, search for Will. At the same time, a young psychokinetic girl named Eleven escapes from the laboratory and assists Will's friends, Mike, Dustin, and Lucas in their efforts to find Will. The second season is set a year later, starting in October of 1984. Will has been rescued, spoiler alert, sorry that was late. <laughs> but few know of the details of the events. When it is discovered that Will is still being influenced by entities from the Upside Down, his friends and family learn there is a larger threat to their universe from the Upside Down. The third season is set several months later in the days leading up to the 4th of July celebration in 1985. The new Starcourt Mall has become a center of attention for Hawkins residents, putting most other stores out of business. Hopper becomes increasingly concerned about Eleven and Mike's relationship while still trying to care for Joyce. 
Unbeknownst to the town, a secret Soviet laboratory under Star Court seeks to open the gateway to the Upside Down, allowing the entities from the Upside Down to possess people in Hawkins and create a new horror to deal with. The fourth season is set several months later during April of 1986. Joyce, Will, Eleven, now going by Jane Hopper, and Jonathan have moved to Lenora, California. Eleven has a hard time adjusting and gets bullied in school. Meanwhile, in Hawkins, a new monster from the Upside Down murders multiple high school students. So that's just kind of a quick overview. Yeah, a little synopsis for each season. Right. My guy from the show is uh, Doc Ray Montgomery. I don't know if that's how you say it. But uh, he plays Billy Hargrove. So the reason I like his character is because he is just kind of like a early 80s badass right like he's driving a badass car this dude is like smoking marble reds while he's working out and that's fucking hardcore dude that's what the 80s is all about smoking mm-hmm. and lifting weights at the same time so <laughs> anyway for whatever reason he's a, a cool character and most of you know what happens but uh, we'll just leave that out there Uh, Let's talk about the bizarre origins of the Montauk Project. The Montauk Project allegedly involved the abduction of orphans and runaways who were subjected to physical and psychological torture. And just to be clear, we are moving on to what is alleged in reality. This is not the uh, Stranger Things storyline anymore. This is what allegedly took place in reality, so... The Montauk Project narrative got its start in earnest in 92 with the self-published book by Preston B. Nichols called The Project Montauk, The Montauk Project, Experiments in Time. There were already rumors that the American military had been conducting experiments in psychological warfare on the eastern end of Long Island as far back as the mid-1980s, so Nichols' book added fuel to an already existing fire. The U.S. government has staunchly denied any research described in Nichols' book occurred at either Camp Hero or the Montauk Air Force Station. Notice they didn't deny it altogether. Both Camp Hero and the Montauk Air Force Station were said to be the hubs of this paranormal research. Nichols begins by saying that he wrote the book after, quote, recovering memories of his time as a researcher for the project, and then goes on to give an account detailing the interior of the facilities, its procedures, advanced technologies, and numerous paranormal incidents he claims to have witnessed. After the book's publication, others started coming forward to say that they too had been privy to the illicit research conducted by the Montauk Project. So we'll just basically go over what he claims, and I don't even think that we really need to have a a, a strong opinion one way or the other we're just going to put this out there and kind of see what what you guys think preston nichols claimed he eventually recovered repressed memories of his true identity and that he himself had worked on the montauk project in terms of his actual claims nichols book goes all in experiments in mind control and telepathy opening space-time portals to other dimensions contact with alien life and the abduction of runaway children all under the authority of a U.S. military program financed by Nazi gold recovered during World War II. With so many claims in play, untangling it all is an epic undertaking. So, the fact that it's financed by Nazi gold (laughs) is a a little... Sus, as the kids would say. I mean, I don't know why that's important at all, except to add to the mythos behind it. Because, yeah, do I believe that the U.S. recovered a lot of Nazi gold, a lot of art, you know, stuff that had been pilfered? Yeah, by the Nazis. Do I believe that? Yeah. But I don't I don't know that the government is going to be like, okay, we got all this Nazi gold, so we're going (laughs) to use Nazi gold to fund this. I, I think that the financial responsibility is kind of irrelevant you know i mean if Mm -hmm. it's u.s government funded it doesn't really matter where the money comes from i mean eventually it all comes from you and i anyway but Mm. i think that that's kind of a red flag yeah 
I've been watching the new season of uh, The Boys, and there's a part where they're talking about a secret mission that the CIA conducted, you know, way in the past. They're trying to find something related to that, and the person who is in charge of it is telling them, you know, about how it was super secret, so what the government was doing was basically financing a drug operation. They were Mm -hmm. allowing them to, like, sell drugs, and they were using the drugs to buy weapons, and... So it's a documentary? (laughs) (laughs) But it's like, I still don't totally get why that's the case. Like, why is it easier to hide the U.S. military funding, like, a major drugs operation in the U.S. or other countries or whatever? Why is that easier than just trying to find some way to obfuscate what they're actually shipping? You know what I mean? It just seems like it's a bunch of work either way. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this is true, but I remember reading a long time ago that when tanks first came into existence, like the first couple were, I guess, World War One-ish. Uh-huh. One of the theories that I had read as to why they're called tanks is that they were trying to not let anybody know what they were, like what they were shipping. Uh-huh. So you have this like truck show up with this giant thing on the back of it that's like covered up. It's like, what is that? Oh, it's just a tank, like a uh-huh. water tank or... Right. What, you know, whatever it's supposed to be for. So people just called them that. And it's like, couldn't they just do that? Oh, we're just sending whatever. Yeah. I don't know. Sending something else. We're just sending beef jerky. We're sending, uh, you know, Kirkland Signature beef jerky to, to to this country. I don't know. It's a tank of rain. We're giving our soldiers rain. Hey, that'd probably do some good. But I don't know. It's just, it it does seem very strange. Like, I don't mm-hmm. know why that would be the easier thing to do. It doesn't. Yeah. Or or why specifically they would tie it to Nazi gold. Because it's like, you still have to turn that Nazi gold into, like, a paycheck. Yeah. For the scientists conducting the research. Yeah. You know, you still have to pay. It's not like you can go to, you know, Ameren or, you know, whatever other power company. And just, like, s- slyly push a little bag of gold coins across the desk to be like, hey, let's keep this between us. Yeah, and I think that the government has their black books or basically black money that is Mm -hmm. used for things that they choose not to tell us about, and it's basically the government saying, you can't know about this, it's too top secret, it's, you know, you wouldn't be able to handle it, but we're using this money. So it's not like they really have to sneak away to fund things. Now, I do think that certain agencies will fund things for themselves aside from what they get from the government as far as their budget goes. Mm -hmm. I could see an alternative funding source to a certain extent, but I just feel like saying it's Nazi gold is just kind of a a catchphrase, basically buzzword. Yeah. It puts a little like mystique on it that it doesn't necessarily need to have. Our next podcast will be called mystique. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It just adds something to it that it's like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you need that. Well, how does it tie into the Philadelphia experiment? So basically, in a nutshell, the Philadelphia experiment was an experiment where the government, allegedly the military, used technology that was gained from Nikola Tesla to turn a battleship or a a naval ship invisible to, you know, to the naked eye or or whatever. And, And I'm assuming to radar and everything, too. But what actually allegedly happened is that when this technology was applied to the ship, it teleported from one, you know, bay or dock or whatever to another part of the country. And then it came back. And when it came back, there were actually human beings embedded in the metal like they had been fused with the ship where maybe uh, for instance a man was like horizontal through a wall of the ship where 
Juan say the inside of the ship, the upper half of his body was, and then on the outside of the ship, his lower half was like sticking out, and he was basically just a part of the ship. And a lot of people mm-hmm. allegedly died, and we don't know a whole lot about it aside from that, but it it is being linked to Project Montauk. Right. That's kind of just a, a layman's overview, and I, I'm sure at some point we'll do an episode on the Philadelphia experiment. It's very interesting. And it's pretty likely that anybody listening to this has seen it referred to in some other show or movie or something like that. Absolutely. I feel like I've seen it in episodes of, you know, some of the like great old shows that they used to have on sci-fi before sci-fi just was like, we're just going to repeat, you know, we're just going to (laughs) re-air like old Star Trek or whatever. Yeah. Because I remember, I don't know, just I think there might have been like a Stargate episode or something where they somehow like were back on Earth and they encountered... I think they encountered the ship in one. And I know I've seen other shows where it's like they'll they'll like randomly encounter this warship in like the Arctic uh-huh. or in the jungle or whatever. And they're like, oh, this this is, you know, from this. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Sounds like you've been hanging out with Snoop. <laughs> in 1984, the Forgettable Bee movie was made about the Philadelphia Experiment, aptly titled The Philadelphia Experiment. Very original. Mm-hmm. When a 57-year-old man named Al... Balek, Balek, Balek. We're going to hit it right somewhere. So saw the movie in 1988. He claimed that he experienced an overwhelming sense of deja vu. Using new age therapies and practices, Balek said he was able to unlock a massive store of repressed memories about his extensive involvement, not just in the Philadelphia experiment, but in something called the Montauk Project as well, and that the two were intertwined. Suggesting that his memory had been wiped using the CIA's MK Ultra techniques to maintain the secrecy of the program, Bilek claimed that his real name was Edward Cameron and that he and his brother Duncan Cameron were crew members on the Eldridge in 1943 when they were in their 20s. Bilek told his story to an audience at the Mutual UFO Network, or otherwise known as MUFON, conference in 1990, saying not only that the Philadelphia experiment was real, but that he and his brother were aboard the ship when it happened. He said that none other than Nikola Tesla himself had engineered the equipment that caused the Eldridge to break out of space-time and that it had even opened up a wormhole to the future, which dropped the two brothers in the middle of Montauk's Camp Hero on August 12th of 1983. So that's quite a claim. Well, yeah, he's basically saying that they were transported 40 years into the future. Mm -hmm. So that's an extraordinary claim. And I guess there's probably equipment on the ship that would say, you know, date, time, all that stuff. So I'm assuming that's where he got it from. I don't I don't know a whole lot about his story, but I don't think he like went out and lived a life in 1983 and then was, you know, brought back because apparently the experiment didn't last all that long. Extraordinary claim. Agreed. There is a declassified document that I'm going to read a little bit out of, but these documents are so disappointing because there's so much that's redacted that it almost makes it irrelevant. Useless. Useless to read. Yeah. So this is from a file where it's it's titled Project MKUltra, Subproject 8. So it starts out with number one. Subproject 8 is being set up as a means to continue the present work in the general field of LSD at Redacted until the 11th of September 1954. Number two. This project will include a continuation of a study of the biochemical, neurophysiological, sociological, and clinical psychiatric aspects of LSD and also a study of LSD antagonists and drugs related to LSD, such as LAE. A detailed proposal is attached. The principal investigators will continue to be redacted. The estimated budget of the project at Redacted is $39,500. The Redacted will serve as a cutout and cover for this project and will furnish the above funds to the Redacted, 
as a philanthropic grant for medical research, a service charge of $790, 2% of the estimated budget is to be paid to the redacted for this service. So, like I said, without knowing what's redacted, it doesn't do a whole lot, but this is something that was out there, it was presented in the research, and I thought you guys might like to hear about it. I apologize because it's an actual we're looking at what is believed to be a photocopy of the document and it's very blurry and small print. It's a bunch of redacted stuff basically. I One thing, a couple things that I found interesting. First of all, the project budget is $39,500. Now that was in the 1950s. Right, I actually... I actually put it into West Egg's inflation calculator, and it says that in 2021 dollars, that would be about 412000 Yeah. So, uh, I mean, that's a decent amount of money, but when you look into operating even a small military base, it doesn't seem like that's a whole lot of money no. to be doing that with. Certainly, you would think Nazi gold <laughs> could provide a higher budget. And I also love that there's a service charge of $790 to be paid to redacted for this service. So it's like, no matter where you go, everybody wants their cut. You know, it's like, hey, we're going to do, I assume that, you know, at least some of the people involved in this project thought that it would be a positive thing. And, but Yet and still, somebody's like, nah, yeah, I got to get my $800 worth out of this too. So no matter where you go in the government, there's always people skimming and, you know, taking money here and there. And it's kind of a sad illustration. But I, I thought those were interesting points. And I thought it would be interesting for you guys to kind of get an idea of what one of these, I'm assuming it was from a FOIA request documents look like when they've been redacted so if you think about like a court trial right somebody is on trial for say murder and somebody's being questioned by an attorney and they say well you know tell us what happened on that night and they're like well it, it was september 10th and redacted was driving his car down redacted mm-hmm. street at redacted time and everything that happened was redacted so it really you know it's kind of just a cheap way for the government to be like hey we told you guys what happened my my favorite part of what you read is a bit that you skipped in the middle of like two giant redacted (laughs) sections they're just the words all of it's just all of is the only thing out of like probably 20 words that they were able to to publish yeah right yeah it's it's a sad state and I don't know when this document was either leaked or, or obtained via FOIA request, but it, it, yeah, it's just everything's redacted, 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 redacted. It does no good, but hey, you know, they're giving up the documents. They're sharing. Yeah, so mean, Something. At this point, Bilek's story becomes convoluted, but the thrust of it is that he and his brother joined up with the Montauk Project, which had grown out of the electromagnetic research of the Philadelphia Experiment. Bilek claims he befriended Nichols in the 1970s and that together they developed the Montauk Chair, a mind-reading device that was a central component of the entire project and helps provide a window into the specifics of its supposed research. The Montauk Chair. You want to tell us about that? It's it's a cool story, you know. Whether it's true or not, it's it's interesting. So, what do we know about the Montauk Chair? Preston Nichols detailed his alleged work on the Montauk Chair in his book, claiming it used electromagnetism to further the psychic powers of whoever sat in it. Duncan Cameron, in a stroke of uncanny coincidence, happened to have substantial psychic abilities, including the ability to manifest objects with his mind using the device. This may sound familiar to fans of Stranger Things, where a similar device is used by the character Eleven, played by Millie Bobby Brown, to open a portal to the parallel alternate dimension we've already referred to as the Upside Down. 
In the Montauk project lore, Cameron and other project researchers would use the Montauk chair to similarly open portals through space-time. Nichols described another experiment in his book that is curiously similar to remote viewing, a paranormal concept that was actually researched by the CIA and also included in Stranger Things. And we'll talk about all that after the break. There's something going on here. Something evil. Do you love true crime? Can't get enough? You need to check out Exploring Evil, the true crime podcast that covers lesser-known and international serial killers, bizarre murders, and murders with a paranormal twist. Did you know there was a serial killer who only killed murderers and pedophiles? The real-life Dexter is covered in a recent episode of Exploring Evil. You can find Exploring Evil on your favorite podcast platform. Hey, my name is Ryan. And I'm pretty sure I'm Joe. And we are the hosts of Movie Hell, a podcast all about movies and pop culture. We're two buddies who talk about this stuff anyway and wanted to share our own madness with all of you. Yeah, we have these discussions anyway and rant and rave about movies, TV, and pop culture in general, so why not share it? The objective of Movie Hell is to bring you reviews and discussions of flops to avoid, new stuff to see, and hidden gems that might end up being your new favorite. Whether you're looking for that perfect movie for Friday night or wondering if anybody else found Mr. Nobody as unsettling as you did, I'm sure there's something for everyone to enjoy, and if not, let us know and we can always learn and improve. Ah, boy, do we have room to improve. You can listen to Movie How on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, and pretty much anywhere else fine podcasts are curated. Welcome back to Cryptique. So Nichols wrote, quote, the first experiment was called the seeing eye. With a lock of a person's hair or other appropriate object in his hand, Duncan could concentrate on the person and be able to see as if he was seeing through their eyes, hearing through their ears, and feeling through their body. So he could actually see through other people anywhere on the planet Assuming he was able to obtain a lock of their hair or something along those lines. And that sounds very fantastical. But the CIA did a lot of research on remote viewing. They did not take it as a fairy tale or a joke or whatever. But there is also a a theory in the Sufi chakras which is they're not the chakras that you're probably familiar with that are all kind of in the center of the body and start you know in the uh, sacral area and go up to the crown in the sufi chakras they kind of go the chakras kind of go across the center of the chest and then they have one for their third eye and their crown but the sufi practitioners believe that through whirling dervishes and stuff like that they can actually enter someone else's mind so i just thought that was kind of interesting to throw in that this is not something that is new and it's not something that is just the cia (laughs) or the military or the government saying well fuck it let's try it you know there there is some precedent where people have claimed to be able to do this so therefore the military is going to try to exploit that as much as possible but more so than remote viewing or any of the other claims Nichols makes the one about the abduction of young children some no older than four to use as subjects in the Montauk Project's various experiments is surely the most shocking and we have talked recently about child abduction and the thought that they are abducting children and when i say they i just i'm referring to kind of a pedophile ring or a pedophile racket is abducting children to you know be used basically as sex slaves and this kind of illustrates another reason to abduct children and 
The problem that I see with this is that these are not children who were known to have any abilities. You know what I mean? Like they're they're not saying like, oh, well, you know, John Smith was able to make a spoon spin on the table using just his mind. We need to take him. Right. He's got powers. It's, hey, we're going to just take whatever we can find right. and turn them into people with special powers. Uh, Nichols referred to these underage abductees as the Montauk Boys and said that they were snatched off the street or even taken from their homes. According to Nichols, these children were so psychologically broken down by the Montauk Project that most would forget all about their time at Camp Hero for the rest of their lives. And the stories of the Montauk Boys only became more intriguing when someone started coming forward to confirm them. In my research, I found photographs of basically, and I understand that they could be photoshopped, uh, they could be, they, they're not necessarily from where this base is allegedly located, but they're photographs of what basically looks like a metal door that kind of just goes into the side of a mountain. And it's eerily reminiscent of the door that they bring Eleven into in season four, towards the end of season four of Stranger Things, I guess the middle, where there's just, they drive out into the middle of the desert and there's just a door there and the door goes down into this underground facility. But Nichols claimed the subterranean floors were flooded with cement once the Montauk Project was shut down in the early 1980s. At least one man has claimed to similarly, quote, recover his traumatic memories of the Montauk Project, just as Bilek and Nichols had. Stuart Swerdlow, which is quite a name. That is quite a name. A 52-year-old man living in Michigan told The Sun in 2017 that he was one of the Montauk boys Nichols described and that he and others like him were subjected to horrific abuse. He says, quote, when the experiment started, they'd target what he described as expendable boys like orphans, runaways, or the children of drug addicts, the kind of kids no one would really come looking for. The aim was to fracture your mind so they could program you. They would change the temperature from very hot to very cold, starve you, then overfeed you. I remember being beaten with a wooden pole. And they loved to hold your head underwater until you nearly drowned. That was effective. It makes a person likely to listen and obey their, quote, rescuer. And, I mean, these are common practices. Not necessarily to induce, you know, psychiatric powers or whatever, but to, you know, physically and psychologically break someone. Right. He says that they also used LSD to put our brains in an altered state. Stuart Swerdlow claims he and others were similarly dosed as children throughout the Montauk Project. Swerdlow added that he also observed Project staffers sexually abusing the children in order to break them down. And through our research on this podcast and on my other podcast, we know that trauma does tend to break people down and it can split the personality. I, I guess it kind of is similar to like a heavy dose of boot camp, right. I guess. Like the way they will, as an individual, to build you back up as part of a team. But in this case, they're just building you up as an asset, a tool, I guess. Swerdlow even alleged that he and other Montauk boys were sent to Mars and back to biblical times via the project's portals. He says, quote, In the early days, as they were perfecting the coordinates, a lot of boys were simply lost. I still have nightmares about it today. I wasn't there when the Montauk chair was shut off, but I felt it, like I had suddenly been unplugged from electricity. So that's quite a lot to take in. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I, I have no doubt that this is something that our government, our military would do. I don't know if this actually happened. I don't know if some of it happened. I don't know if any of it happened. But I don't write it off as a fairy tale mm -hmm. 
right at the beginning, I guess. I think that it's something that could happen. It's not outside of the realms of extreme possibility. Mm-hmm. Right, right. There was a... I'm trying to remember who made it, but there was a documentary called Third Eye Spies that came out in like 2019. Mm-hmm. And they talk about these psychic experiments and they interview these different people who were involved in one way or another. And there are even, you know, like a lot of this stuff, you know, you said you wouldn't be surprised to find out that this, like whatever stuff like this had been experimented with. Like we've, we've said that before, Mm. like the government kind of pursues anything. So even the stuff that sounds really bizarre, you know, people are working on. Yeah. Yeah. Right. They're, they're at least making sure that it's not real or not viable or not potentially a threat to us if somebody else experiments with it first. But the primary person that they follow in this documentary is Russell Targ, mm-hmm. who is uh, was used in these like psychic spy experiments in the 80s, like during the Cold War. Mm-hmm. And there's even a part where he's talking to Yuri Geller, I think. Yeah, Yuri Geller. I'm fairly certain. Okay. And because I think Yuri was involved in it, too. And, like, one of the people that were involved just died of a heart attack, like, kind of mysteriously. Like, no, you know, I think it was, like, a whistleblower-type situation, but then he died of this heart attack. And there's this little scene that I really like. That it's a confrontation between Russell and Yuri. Mm-hmm. And he's like, it was just a heart attack. Like, heart attacks happen. And, you're, and Russell's like, but they were working on a heart attack gun. Like, we know that they mm-hmm. were doing that. And there's apparently leaked documents that the government was working on you know, like there's the the stories of um, people being killed by like a little pellet of some kind of radioactive substance being injected into them. So you just feel like a little sting, like a bug, or mm-hmm. you know, even maybe like a hair being pulled out by like a you know getting stuck in a piece of clothing. But it's mm-hmm. like it's a poison thing, and they were trying to do something similar where they could do something to you at a little bit of a range that would cause you to have a heart attack. And it's like. It's just this moment where Russell's like, well, they, they couldn't have killed him. He had a heart attack. Right. It's like, but they had a heart attack. gun. <laughs> right. It's just like these things that sound ridiculous, but, you know, you can confirm that they were actually worked on or taken at least somewhat seriously. Right. And, you know, the things that we know about that the military has are years behind what they actually have. And it doesn't matter if you think that this is possible or not all that matters is that somebody with nazi gold thinks it's possible mm-hmm. and they're going to you know do their best to try and manifest it so you want to tell us about the end of the montauk project sure and the true story behind stranger things stranger things was originally titled montauk and was heavily inspired by the purported experiments at camp hero All the project's experiments finally came to an end in the early 1980s, Nichols claimed, when things finally went too far even for the researchers responsible. Nichols claimed that whatever someone sitting in the Montauk chair envisioned would first appear on a transmitter screen before being manifested in the real world either in solid or transparent form. The Montauk project was shut down after Nichols and Duncan Cameron, along with other participants, rebelled against the project when something especially sinister was manifested. We finally decided we'd had enough of the whole experiment. The contingency program was activated by someone approaching Duncan while he was in the chair and simply whispering, the time is now. At this moment, he let loose a monster from his subconscious, and the transmitter actually portrayed a hairy monster. It was big, hairy, hungry, and nasty. But it didn't appear underground in the null point. It showed up somewhere on the base. It would eat anything it could find. It smashed everything in sight. Sounds like my pit bull. Several people saw it, but almost everyone described a different beast. Nichols said they had to destroy all of the equipment in order to remove this creature from existence and send it back to its original dimension or something to that effect. This is clearly the inspiration for a similar narrative in Stranger Things where Eleven summons a monster which similarly goes on to wreak havoc. The Montauk chair Preston B. Nichols described in his book which allegedly amplified a person's psychic abilities which changed to a suit in Stranger Things. According to Variety, show creators Matt and Russ Duffer were so inspired by the Montauk project that the original title for the Netflix hit was simply Montauk. And there are people that have sued, and I'm not going to get into it, but Stranger Things was sued 
by someone who claims that it was basically completely based on her short stories. So there's that. Yeah, so basically these young boys were able to manifest an actual physical thing out of their imagination. The only thing I see a problem with here is that when I, and this could just be Hollywood, but when I envision these researchers that are in charge of this, I don't see them seeing this manifestation of something as evil as it is or, or whatever. I don't see them being like, oh, oh, that's it. No, we can't. We, we got to flood everything with cement now. And, and no, I see them as being like, you know, wow, breakthrough. Right. This is what we want to do. Now we just want to manifest it in Moscow or wherever else we, you know, want to achieve something. Exactly. So that's kind of a red flag for me. I I mean, it seems like that this researcher or whoever would basically just, that'd be like their wet dream, you know? (laughs) Like if you can manifest a monster here, then maybe you can manifest a disease, like you said, in Moscow or... They'd pin a medal on him and send him off to get, you know, was it like a bonus or whatever if he managed to summon a monster. According to Nichols, the basement levels of Camp Hero were flooded with cement once all the equipment was destroyed and the project was shut down, with anyone involved in the project having their memories of the project suppressed using MK Ultra techniques. The decommissioned facilities at Camp Hero are still standing, however, attracting curious passers-by and local townsfolk to this day regardless of what actually happened inside. The military, for its part, has disputed that anything like the Montauk Project took place on Long Island. But these sorts of denials often do little to dissuade believers because the U.S. government likewise denied their research into mind control and remote viewing with just as much assuredness as they denied Nichols' claims, right up until the moment the research documents on MKUltra and other similar projects were declassified. Even today, the base is patrolled and watched. They obviously don't want people in there even now. Filmmaker Christopher Garitano, whose documentary The Montauk Chronicles, explored the history of the subject, believing that it's important to consider a few precedents before writing off the story entirely. The more I research, the more I've begun to believe it is not so ludicrous, he said. We know there was military interest in paranormal phenomena. Project Stargate, which began in 1978 and was later declassified, looked at whether psychics could perform remote viewing and see events from great distances. MKUltra used vulnerable people like prisoners. So why is it so far-fetched that orphans or runaway boys would be targeted? They seem exactly the sort of subjects who would be easy to take. And Montauk would be the ideal facility. In the winter, it is like a ghost town. So, we know MKUltra was real. That's not really up for debate anymore that's pretty much been verified we don't know everything that was accomplished through mk ultra but we know that mind control was kind of their thing right Mm -hmm. that's what they wanted to do so the thought that someone's memory can be erased may be foreign to some people but i think that it can actually be accomplished and fairly easily if you have no morals or ethics to keep you from doing whatever you need to do to erase that memory. Mm. You know what I mean? Do you agree? Disagree? I think there are definitely ways to do it. I mean, I don't... Yeah, I think drugs are different substances. I mean, essentially, when you black out when you're drunk, you're just hitting your hippocampus with so much alcohol that your brain just kind of isn't recording anymore. Yeah. That's sort of the science behind that, so... Yeah, I think there are definitely ways, and we've we've read a lot of stories on here about people having repressed memories of abuse or trauma or whatever. I've even known somebody personally who had experienced things in her childhood and couldn't rem- like couldn't tell if they really happened or or not. Mm-hmm. Like some traumatic event. I don't know the details, but I remember finding out that her brother, who's a little older and had more memory of it, confirmed that yeah, it really happened, mm-hmm. and it was like this revelation that was very um, jarring, kind of shook her worldview a little bit because she realized that like people in her life had been lying to her about this for a long time. She had these kind of like flashes of memories and mm-hmm. everybody's like, no, no, you were just imagining that or you're thinking of some movie you saw or whatever. Yeah, that's got to be devastating to find out it was true. Right. Uh, do you want to talk some comics? Always. 
I know you, I'm not really into comics, but comics are weird now. A lot of comics are very political, and a lot of comics mm-hmm. you have to read like 10 different concurrent stories to keep up, but mm-hmm. they're still fun. So Dark Horse Comics announced the partnership with Netflix for a multi-year publishing line of stories set in the Stranger Things world. The initial title was a four-issue miniseries written by Jody Hauser and interior art by Stefano Martino. See, every time I see a name that's not a normal white, normal, white bread American name, <laughs> I, <laughs> get, I get like this little bit of, you know, oh God, am I going to mispronounce this? You did. Should great. we just leave that? We should just leave that in there. <laughs> The, sure. the story took place during the events of the first season and took Will's perspective while he was still trapped inside the Upside Down. The first issue of the miniseries was released on September 26th of 2018. On May 4th of 2019, Dark Horse Comics published a special Stranger Things comic as part of the event-free comic book day, which many of you would probably know, uh, and I haven't gone to in a while anywhere. The Dark Horse uh, FCBD, or Free Comic Book Day 2019 General Comic, contained a Stranger Things story entitled The Game Master, set a few days after the events of the first season. The second Stranger Things title is another four-part miniseries written again by Jody Hauser with interior art by Edgar Salazar, entitled Stranger Things 6. The comic focuses on one of the experiments preceding Eleven, a girl named Francine who possesses powers of precognition. The first issue went on sale on May 29th of 2019. An original graphic novel based on the series called Stranger Things Zombie Boys was released on February 19th of 2020. I have not read any of those comics, but if you are a Stranger Things fan, a stranger... Or a thingy, or... (laughs) Or whatever, you might want to check these out. They could be pretty cool. But if you are one of those, you probably already know about it, so... So let's let's cover this. All right. Stranger Things, good series. Mm-hmm. Not, you know, not world changing for me, but pretty good. The first season was like phenomenal. Yeah. It was just such a phenomenon. Like it did. I don't think it kept up mm-hmm. the momentum, but COVID whatever kind of put a, right. a damper on a lot of things. And, and it's hard when your series is based on you know, 11, 12, 13 year olds. And then you have to take a four year hiatus (laughs) and then then try and come back with them as, you know, Hey, we're still in high school. Well, dude, you've got a ZZ top beard. (laughs) Yeah. Your voice has changed. Yeah. Right. So I don't know. Good series. Like you said, great at the beginning. A lot of times we run into this where, the first season or the second, you know, whatever season is based on either comics or novels or whatever. And then they're a big hit and, oh shit, that person didn't write another book or that person didn't make another comic. So we have to come up with our own stuff now. And it's a lot harder when you have to come up with new original stories based on something created by someone else and try and keep the flow and everything going. So I think generally series are best in their first couple years. Sometimes, you know, I think you may have mentioned something that the first season was not that great, but it really picked up after that. But generally, you know, you get into the storyline that was written by people who were not the original creators and the creativity and and the flow kind of suffer. But if you haven't seen Stranger Things, what are you waiting for? Go watch it. It's really good. I I think that as a child of the 80s, you know, even if it's just the nostalgia that gets you, it's it's a fun watch, right? Mm -hmm. It's not like I don't look at it and think of it as a documentary i look at it strictly as a sci-fi story and it's really cool but what do we think about the real story behind it i think it's totally plausible i do too tell me why i i just think uh like we said the government tries all kinds of things i mean they pursue i mean there's a dark way of looking at it where you can say that they'll go for any edge and go, you know, there's there's nothing that's off limits. Right. And there's a more sort of national security based approach 
where you might say Russia's doing this, so we got to do it too. Exactly. Like we we can't just sit on our hands while maybe yeah whoever it is we're worried about are coming up with new technologies or discovering you know latent abilities or researching Nikola Tesla's invisibility stuff or teleportation stuff like they have to kind of pursue all of it to either keep up with with enemies or to rule out that it's a viable thing to do in the first place and I mean it's fiction but there are a lot of stories that present it as a plausible thing that the government or that governments would use kids Mm. in particular kids who are orphaned or from you know less than stellar homes mm-hmm. to you know be sort of a cheap and easy source for people who don't understand their rights yeah and like wouldn't think to you know tr- try to resist anything you know like mm-hmm. kids kind of make sense because it's like well that your whole life is doing what adults say i was just talking yeah. about this with one of my employees who's like 21 that she you know, she's switching majors in college now because she's realized that she doesn't really like what she was doing. And I kind of pointed mm-hmm. out, I was like, yeah, I mean, you spend the first 17 years and 364 days with people telling you, you know, you do what I say when I say it. Like, you go to high school, you take the classes we tell you to take. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you show up when we tell you to. And then you, that last day, you turn 18, and suddenly it's like, okay, now it's time for you to try to decide what you want to do with the rest of your life. Right. You've never had any freedom. Now you have to make this huge decision. Right. So, I mean, even um, there were novelizations of the Halo series Mm -hmm. where they kind of like told a story behind. I mean, those games were just fun. They had an interesting story, but this, there are these books that like fleshed out more of like how Master Chief came to be who he was. And his story is kind of this like he was found as a little kid Mm. taken in by the military and it's from his perspective and he's like i'm so happy that they did this and they gave me purpose and they've shaped me and they've done this and Mm. you know it it makes it seem like a positive thing but you can also as the reader separate yourself from that be like this is kind of fucked up this kid was taken and turned into a human weapon and it seems plausible there so why not here and also i think that it has to be kids because you know, we have spent our whole lives being told, no, ghosts aren't real. What you're seeing isn't real. It's made up in your head. Right. Uh, no, that's not real. That's fake. No one can do that. Uh, no, you can't see the future. That's impossible. It can't be done. But when you have kids, you you know, they've like we've talked about, the veil is a little bit thinner for children. And, you know, especially younger and impressionable children, you can say you can do this Mm -hmm. you will do this and i think that they're a lot more likely to be able to kind of draw that out of someone who hasn't had it beaten into their head for 30 years that it's impossible right Right. so I, i think that the taking of the children is an important aspect as opposed to training people that join the military or or something like that. Right, just taking some random soldier. I I don't know for sure if I believe everything these people are saying with their recovered memories and stuff like that. I'm not saying that they're lying. I'm not saying that they don't believe what they're saying. I'm just saying it's it's a little bit hard to buy. Mm. But again, like we said, something like this is happening somewhere right now. And there's probably somebody jerking off to it. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Ophelia. That's all I've got. We wanted to talk about some parallels with Stranger Things because it's a hot topic and it's cool. Right. And you guys love it. I know you do. I was just going to say, even Domino's is getting in on it. Oh, yeah. There's those Stranger Things Domino's commercials and it's like, okay, there. Yeah, there's the mind order. I don't know if this is a good or bad for them. Right, exactly. It's like, I don't know what that is. I don't want to, I don't know. Although I, I've never met a pizza I didn't like, so maybe it's just randomly picks one for you. I was just going to say, it's uh, it's hard to go wrong with pizza. I, I don't really care for Domino's, but I'm afraid if I try and you know order with my mind, I'll be addicted to pepperoni for the rest of my life or something. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> All right, well, don't forget to subscribe and check out Exploring Evil in Movie House. Tell a friend, please. 
you guys can have awesome discussions on fantastical topics like we talk about here on Crypt Good evening, Crypt Keepers. <laughs>